You are listening to the podcast Invisible Fintech, Open Banking and APIs hosted by Amit Goel and Sally Rabindran from Medici. Hello and welcome listeners. I'm your host Amit Goel and this is the place where fintech banking and technology folks learn about how financial firms old and new are leveraging the power of APIs. Fintech companies have looked at API first development for long but banks and FIs have the potential to unlock everything from individual digital services to a full API ecosystem of developers and partners. We cover many facets of the API revolution in this podcast such as open banking, open APIs, banking as a service, financial infrastructure APIs and fintech APIs. And how these open several new business opportunities for banks, fintechs, and tech fins around consent-based data sharing and open API-based integrations. The whole world is building on APIs. Don't be left behind. Learn, collaborate, and execute fintech. Hello, listeners. Um, thanks for joining us for another episode of Invisible Fintech where we talk about financial infrastructure, APIs, banking as a service, and all the great stuff which is happening uh, in the background and which is helping build the new age financial services. Today, I'm very fortunate to have uh, Prajit Nanu, who is the founder and CEO of Niam. Um, and we are going to talk about um, you know, the work that they have done. Uh, Niam is an open money global platform uh, they have uh, different APIs uh, for send, payment rails at power, uh, you know, sending. They have card issuing capabilities. They have cross-border APIs and, and so on and so forth. So we'll know a lot more about that uh, from Prajit. Um, a little bit of background on Prajit. Um, uh, basically, he uh, was in very senior roles at uh, WNS Global and TMF Group. And uh, he started this company in uh, 2014. And since then, the company has grown at a rapid pace um, and he has raised a lot of money and they have global operations. They have people in different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, some people call me biased, but I like Prajit is one of my favorite uh, fintech entrepreneurs in Asia. <laughs> so it's nothing hidden. I have tweeted about it. Um, and so Prajit, very happy to have you here. Uh, welcome to Invisible Fintech. Hey, pleasure, Amit. Thanks. And thanks for such a glowing uh... Yeah, such a glowing introduction. Really appreciate it. Sure. So, Prajit, let, let's jump in. Uh, the first thing I wanted to know is, uh, and I'm sure the audience would appreciate that, how do you describe the opportunity in this space? You know, people call it the AWS of banking. Some right. people call it banking as service. Some people call it financial infrastructure APIs. But you have you've kind of gone through this journey, right? So, how would you describe the opportunity overall? Sure, sure. So I think uh, in summary, right, like what Niam has today developed into, uh, the way I kind of define Niam is that we are a universal plug for financial services. So how you travel to every country, you have to carry a universal plug because uh, connecting to different electrical plug points, right? So similarly, if you connect to Niam, we actually are the universal plug which allows you to build a financial product in US, in Europe, in Asia, through a single connection, right? So um, uh, unfortunately, the whole, uh, you know, the whole banking as a service, AWS for banking, etc. Now these are becoming very misused uh, nomenclatures, right? Um, right. Uh, you know, half of them are not even banking as a service. I call them lipstick on a pig kind of a solution, where on a, a aging bank, uh, like a technology, you are actually building APIs 
but at the back end it's still batch based processing so you know so it it doesn't so i i can give you some context right uh, at the core sure. hypothesis what we are seeing is that anyone with a large distribution platform is becoming a fintech right and great examples popping up uh, all across right so google right. wanting to offer deposit account in the us facebook wanting to do libra and novi uh, uh, if you look at closer to this part of the world right uh the whole flipkart phone pay is also a very interesting uh, thing which you saw you had so much of distribution capability automatically you start building financial services uh, is there anyone in india without a wallet now right like for example like uh, uh, or if you look at uh, southeast asia grab right uh, you know i was speaking right. on the other day uh, there is no question about grab and their core business which is logistics now it's all uh, it's all about grab financial or the payment mm. business right so more and more uh, we see the fact that anyone with a large distribution capability will become a fintech and we believe that we equip people such as these guys to be able to offer financial services by providing regulatory cover card issuing platform etc so that they don't have to actually build anything from scratch i think that's the i think that's the core key these which we provide right so however you call it aws of banking and all of those things you know they are nomenclatures and honestly they are becoming more and more blurred and confusing because you see right. these uh, words being used frequently without people not knowing what it means right so from yeah. our perspective we are kind of staying away from all of those aspects we are saying that hey we are a universal plug for financial services plug into us be able to access this uh, access financial services say, creating a card in brazil issuing uh, sending money into the us or collecting money in new zealand should be all done through a single pipe and that's what we focus on right so uh, a follow up question on that is uh, from the demand perspective right i understand that there are different types of companies and different segments of companies which are very interested in becoming fintech companies or sort of offering financial services right and the way that i describe it is that there is uh, you know old world consumer companies there are consumer tech companies there are vertical saas companies like zilingo who are looking at one particular value chain and yeah. have data points and uh, you know they work across the value chain and there are others where are you seeing the most demand coming from i think the most demand is coming from uh, you know consumer tech right like uh, anything adding payments to any element where you have a larger distribution piece uh, funnily we are also seeing in social media Uh, so we okay. are in discussions with few of the largest uh, social media brands. Uh, you know, they they create uh, content creator apps, etc. And there are millions of people. So we, I was just discussing with uh, one of our clients or prospects, and they said, "Hey, we've got ten uh, million users in Indonesia, All right?" Uh, so wow. these are big numbers, right? And now we want to kind of uh, add a card to the person so that we can push financial inclusion, etc. So where we are seeing lot of uh, aspects is including banks right uh, amit and that's the big change which has happened uh, banks have quickly realized the fact that if they try to build a fintech product quickly seamlessly it takes uh, quite a few years so let's look at the uh, example in the uk uh, where uh, i think it was um, uh, i can't recollect which bank but uh, uh, one of the large banks actually decided to build a digital bank and after spending 100 million pounds uh, over 18 months they actually had only 10000 customers so they shut it down i think it was called yeah. go I, i i can't recollect who was the primary uh, bank behind it uh, uh, 
so it, it, the bank was called yeah, Bo. Think, yeah, correct. Yeah, Bo. It was RBS. Uh, RBS. Yeah, I, I thought it was RBS. Yeah, it was RBS. But if you think about it, right? If they would have used us uh, or our infrastructure to rapidly prototype, put it out in the mm-hmm. market, see this, they would have spent few million dollars, right? Right. So that's the big differentiator what we are seeing with banks. So we are engaged with banks in a lot of countries as well. Saying that, hey, why don't you rapidly prototype, build this on us? And if it works out, totally understand that uh, we will actually go through uh, the journey where they will actually build something themselves. So we're seeing banks, uh, fintechs, consumer techs, uh, uh, you know, the social media aspects, travel. Now, travel is becoming super interesting as well because uh, travel will come back in some form or shape, right, in the next 12 to 18 months. And what we're seeing is if you are on Say, let's let's pick for an example. Like if you're on a booking.com, right? And this is the experience which I'm uh, talking about. If you're on booking.com and booking.com, uh, you have booked a trip to say Thailand and um, you're going there for like 10 days and you've booked a hotel there. Imagine if they can set up a Thai bath card, a virtual card on your mobile phone at the end of the transaction, which you can load in say INR, convert it into Thai bath. And when you go to the when you go to Thailand, you can actually tap that card. Uh, it's, yeah. un, it's an unbelievable experience, right? So these are the things which we are seeing. And uh, one of the most interesting aspects which I'm seeing about this whole space of everyone wanting to be a fintech is that there is no industry where people are saying that, hey, this is not interesting, right? So, uh, you know, right. I, think the, I, I think the whole aspect, COVID, you know, making things cashless, et cetera, is just going to accelerate all of these elements, right? So anyone you're cool. talking about gig economy, you're talking about uh, infrastructure, for anyone with a large customer database, I can't see them not offering financial services over the next three to five years. Totally agree. In fact, uh, since it's the public domain for the audience, Niam just added a client called Emanate Music. <laughs> so it's a music platform and they wanted to, uh, you know, uh, basically Niam is supporting them with seamless royalty distribution. So what is happening in the new age financial services is just fascinating. And, um, uh, you know, let me, let me go to the next question on that. Um, so, so this question is around um, what are the different offerings that you have as a platform? And, you know, I see your website, it says use our banking as a service technology set, send in real time, create your own cards, make international collections, sure. uh, keep track of where your money is and where it's going. Um, very helpful, but uh, if you could just uh, sort of, you know, bullet, bullet it out that these are the things that you provide. Perfect. So I think um, uh, at the core of a universal plug is actually an ability to scale into 40 plus markets, right? So once you plug into us, we give you a seamless experience in all these markets. Uh, at the core of our platform is a bank account. So we can give you virtual or physical accounts in these 40 markets. So if you uh, are creating a new bank or a digital bank, or we can actually give you bank account numbers in these markets. Uh, once okay. plugged into us, we also, and the whole stack is completely modular and I'll come uh, to the end of the element. Um, uh, we also do, we provide you a compliance as a service or a KYC, KYB kind of a, a platform where once you plug into us, you can actually onboard the customer using our front end because we have economies of scale. We do millions of transactions, et cetera. We, we've got actually uh, the best of breed platforms uh, where you can onboard a customer. Then we have three core products, uh, send, spend, receive. Send is our, you know, send is our genesis. Send is our core product. Uh, I think on the send side, 
there are very few peers who even come close to us globally on the network, the reach, the kind of customer base. Uh, majority of the large brands, uh, majority of the B2B payment providers will be somewhere at the back end of some pipe. So it's a very robust business. So as part of Send, we actually enable you to send payments into uh, multiple markets uh, largely on a real-time basis. We, we can send money into a bank account, into a wallet, into a visa uh, card because we are you know, principal members of Visa. We have direct access to Visa Direct uh, as well as cash. Uh, so we can actually enable you to send cash into multiple markets as well. So that's a send product. Then we have a okay. spend product, which is card issuing. So we are a principal member uh, of Visa and MasterCard. So we can issue uh, Visa and MasterCards in about 32 plus markets right now. Uh, and this is not a bank issuing a card. It's actually us issuing a card. So we provided the full stack to issue a card. Uh, we are, you know, we are the processors ourselves and basically manage the whole uh, card issuing platforms on scratch. Uh, okay. Receive is a collection platform. So we provide you multi-currency bank accounts to collect money. Uh, we are adding card to it. Uh, we are also providing a cash in facility. So imagine say you're a Netflix and you want to, uh, somebody in Indonesia wants actually a subscription of Netflix. Uh, he can actually uh, uh, connect via us and we can actually do the cash in because markets like Emerging markets, like let's look at Africa or let's look at uh, Asia or Latin America. Uh, as you can imagine, financial uh, access to products is pretty less. So you see the fact that a lot of people prefer cash than any other element. So in our case, you can actually do a cash in. That means you will actually walk into a Alpha Marat or an Indo Marat in Indonesia, give like $10 equivalent and your account gets automatically updated for a, say, a Netflix subscription. So that's a receipt product. Uh, and two core other uh, you know aspects, whether it's FX, hedging, treasury, um, that's a very super core product for us. So uh, some of the products which we sell to some of the largest banks in the world is, and and you actually uh, you know living in India, you see this uh, when, whenever you've gone overseas and you've swiped your INR card, you will suddenly see uh, and they have charged you in Sing dollars. Say if you come to Singapore. But yeah. after a transaction, after a few days, you'll see that they have added like a very small amount, like 100 rupees or 120 rupees, or which is like $2 equivalent, uh, or more gets added two, three days later. Yeah. The reason that happens is because the, uh, the transaction date FX and the settlement date FX are different, right? So we have a FX plug, which ensures the fact that you are, the transaction date and the settlement date actually are absolutely the same. Right, which we sell to banks. So the way we've designed this whole product, now I spoke about like these six, seven key uh, modules, we've completely created on a microservice modular basis. So as a, a bank may come to us, say that, hey, I only want the send product. A FinTech may come to us and say that, we uh, give me the spend product. Um, uh, OTA will come and tell us that I want the receive product. But if you mix all our products together, you can actually build a new bank, except the lending service. Right, so that's what we're seeing more and more people come to us. So it's a completely modular stack. Um, um, engineering slash product talent now is about 200 people spread across quite a few markets. So that's like the core engine which we run. Uh, right. the key element being everything is built on a modular basis because we believe the fact that one size doesn't fit all. We actually enable you to cherry pick what you want. So. In fact, there are some banks who leverage our compliance as a service product because they believe that 
uh, it is much better uh, for them to use this product than actually go and plug into uh, 10 different platforms. Right. So we are becoming a platform of a platform, if, if, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. No, that also seems like a lot of work that you have done over the years, uh, you know, a lot of infrastructure, licenses, people. And I know that's a favorite area for uh, Salil. He comes from a core banking background. So Salil, over to you uh, for your questions. Wonderful. Um, thanks, Amit. Uh, Prajit, let me uh, start off by asking you a few questions. I mean, you just spoke about, uh, you know, the global scale that you have. So Name is one of the very few vast platforms which has actually managed to scale that well globally. You just spoke about 40 countries. So it's literally following the customer as uh, where they go, right? Right. Um, you know, and what I want to ask you is what are the top two to three things in your mind which helps a platform uh, like this scale globally? How right. do you, uh, obviously, you know, when you go into different markets, you have costs coming in. So how do you right. keep the costs low as you scale? And uh, you also spoke about economies of scale. Um, so how do you, what are the areas where you actually draw these economies of scale? No, I think, I think it's a great question, right? So I have to kind of, uh, you know, I have to take, I have to stop patting myself in the back and give you like a real honest perspective, right? Uh, where Niam is today is not by design, uh, but it's, you know, pure luck and some of the strategies coming uh, in place, right? So originally we started at Instagram uh, and and I, I'll, I'll kind of answer your question, but I wanted to set some context, right? So originally we started at Instagram, we wanted to build a consumer, consumer slash SME remittance platform uh, in multiple markets. So when we started taking the licenses in various countries, the whole aspect was, oh, consumer remittance building into a lot of markets, kind of scale. Uh, that's a fairly scaled business, uh, does few billion dollars a year. So uh, it's a top five remittance provider in its category, uh, very well regarded in the industry, et cetera. But what happened with that is that we got a base. Uh, we got a base, which is a licensing base. We have a customer base. We've got, and funnily, a lot of the enterprise businesses we've been are linked to the fact that we understand consumer very well. Right. So we actually won a large bank in Middle East who chooses to work with us. And uh, in fact, the top three competitors were us and two other large B2B payment platforms and they chose us. So, you know, as part of my conversation with them, say, I said, hey, what made you like better? And they said that, you know, standard things around pricing and standard thing around quality of API, et cetera, was one key aspect. But the one key thing which they told us, because you do consumer yourself, your ability to understand a lot of key elements around uh, risk processes, consumer centricity, uh, what became a very interesting element, right? So, uh, so that I think, uh, so somewhere by design, not by design, but by luck and some strategies which we had earlier put together we've now got a global uh, licensing regime which is unmatched so today we have regulatory licenses in australia singapore hong kong malaysia india japan indonesia uh, europe uh, thanks to brexit we have one in the uk one in lithuania us canada and we are adding we are now in process to getting something in mexico in brazil uh, something in philippines hong kong uh, we are trying to get right. an thing now the key thing where the economies of scale works for us is because we are actually looking at emerging markets where we already have some play, right? Like Philippines is a great example. Mm. We are already sending millions of dollars on a daily basis into Philippines as part of our remittance business. 
So now we are saying that, hey, why don't we set up a, 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 like a get an SVF in Philippines, which is a store value facility, which allows us to, or an e-money license, or where we can issue cards, et cetera. What if I can move that remittance volume into a card-based thing, right? Especially the ones who are taking cash, right? So things like that, make it more digital, make it more things like that. So what we do is whichever market we are scaling, there's some history, there's some background, there's some relationship. Uh, of course, we also look at markets which are too complex because remember all these regulatory licenses, we create a big moats for a business. A Japan license took two years to get, right? Now, if we try and, uh, if any competitor says, oh, I want to get into Japan and I want to do this and blah, 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 he's two years away from me, right? Uh, from a perspective. So that gives us a two years build time. Uh, but in reality, uh, having licenses also gives you a lot of aspects. So one one interesting tidbit, right? Like why are we not big locally in India is because there is no license in India which allows us to build what we want to build. So today in India, you need to work with a bank. Uh, we don't, we, we're very reclusive working with a bank because then you're dependent on a third party to basically do that. So in India, we basically do what we do, which is a cross-border payments thing, which we have a approval from RBI to do it. Let's say card issuing, right? Uh, let's say card issuing. We have to actually go work with a bank. The bank gives you a bin. Then they decide to choose whether to onboard the customer or not. Um, there are there are too many players and there are too many things which can go wrong. And our customers come to us because of a seamless access. So the day India opens a license, you will see more uh, more investment being made into India for an India localized solution, which which will happen. I think we are working on something which will. Be, uh, which you'll be happy to announce in the next six months or so. But uh, uh, licensing is a core of what we do, right? And the investments you make, see, it teaches you a lot, right? Compliance, investments, et cetera, and it's worth the investment because uh, being licensing light on a longer run, there is no differentiation at all. Right. Yeah, that that's wonderful. And, you know, um... Along similar lines, you just mentioned, I'm sure, you know, the consumer proposition has really helped you in this. Doesn't it also make a lot of difference when you actually create your platform uh, to bring in that outside in perspective, as opposed to typical B2B platforms when they design the platform, you know, they don't have that customer perspective. Doesn't it make a whole lot of difference in building the product itself, that consumer perspective that you already have uh, gained? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, um, so like, for example, a lot of times we engage uh, with our, uh, you know, so like we have a, we have a platform building a new bank on top of us uh, in one market. So I don't, I don't want to say the customer name or something. It's a super confidential. It's a big platform building. Right. Now we were able to tell them that, Hey, you know what, in this country up to thousand uh, dollars, you can actually issue a card and don't need to do KYC. So why don't we, because this is a consumer experience. So why don't you basically uh, do or replicate the same? And um, uh, once you get used to the usage, then you basically start uh, building a KYC element so that, hey, up to $1,000, no KYC, but if you want to do more. So what happens is that it becomes a very seamless experience for the brand to you know start offering the product. So these are some unique advantages what a B2C, B2B proposition allows you to do. Right now, if it were, if it would have been a peer who only does B two B, he has no clue of these things. Right, he doesn't have a clue about what are the preferred funding methods, what are the preferred payout methods, and these things. So, ability to do that, right, at scale, right, we have a million customers within Instagram today. So, those things are super differentiated. 
Right. Yes. And uh, how important is M&A to your growth or, you know, oh, in other words, massive. I'm not sure if you can. Yeah, massive. I think, uh, you know, yeah. uh, we've, we've had three failed M&As this year. Uh, right? So <laughs> okay. I, I take it with a pinch of salt. Some, some one bit of mine is a bit uh, being, uh, I think one where I, I was trying to be too creative on financial modeling. Like uh, I should have basically... Uh, given, uh, I should have done something super simple and uh, we would have won that deal. But uh, mm. M&A is something super interesting for us. So we are uh, looking to buy things which has anywhere between 8 to say, 8, eight to 10 million dollars plus of revenue because we don't want to buy things which are small. Right? Now, being a startup founder, I can you know tell you one very interesting tidbit is that only after you make start, start making over 10 million dollars of revenue or 15 million or you're on that path. Right? then it makes a lot of sense because that means the business mm-hmm. will survive, right? A lot of businesses which we see are like, you know, sub two, three million dollars of revenue, et cetera. It doesn't make sense for uh, us to even engage further because it may not survive. It may not, the product may not scale, et cetera. So there are a lot of uh, related issues associated with it. So a lot of MA conversation, even now, majority of my time is spent on MA. We looked at assets in Asia we didn't find a lot of interesting assets, especially on the revenue part, right? Majority of them were sub five million, uh, few couple of million dollars, et cetera. So not very interesting. So for us, m has to be super strategic, right? Either it's a complementary product within the ex- existing product suite. And uh, the second thing which, uh, uh, and the second thing which has to be that it has to, you know, it could be, it could be a geography. Maybe we buy something which gives us say Korea, for example. Uh, gives us access to a license in Korea, business in Korea, etc., uh, or Mexico. So it could be any of these elements. But for us, either we'll buy something which is super early or a distressed asset, or we'll buy something which is late stage. You know, we are happy to pay a price even if it's ten to one million dollars of revenue. So uh, we, uh, I think, uh, from our perspective, super important for us to scale uh, the business and MNA organically. Uh, you know, you can scale, but uh, inorganic growth is super important to do as well. Yeah. I'm sure it's uh, probably helped you also in entering some markets faster than otherwise you would have. Right. Um, let me, uh, you know, take you in a different uh, angle. We haven't actually, you know, uh, we don't typically tend to speak a lot about people and organization in these podcasts. And that is something I thought that, you know, we should address uh, with you, especially because you are a, uh, uh, a lot more global than the others we have spoken to in the past. Uh, and probably that would make a difference. So you spoke about, you know, a team of about 200 people engineering plus product. Um, so in a banking as a service business, what kind of functions are, you know, more pivotal to the business uh, than others, uh, you know, and uh, what kind of challenges do you really find in hiring people in right. certain markets, skill sets, if you can right. give a little bit of a lowdown on that. I think uh, uh, in a startup, right, unlike in a large corporate, in a startup, and fortunately, I'm happy to be in a startup, right? In a corporate, right, there are key roles and there are non-key roles, right? But unfortunately, in a startup, every role is super key. What I mean by that is uh, every role is absolutely super key from all aspects, uh, which is even the smallest uh, role, right? Like somebody who's responding to a customer query or somebody who's reconciling a transaction is as key as a product and an engineering guy, right? So that is something which I can tell you uh, 
pretty much. So there is, I wouldn't say that there is one single team which is important. Is it product? Is it tech? Like even the guy at the back end who is helping us reconcile a transaction or putting to a customer is a super critical resource, right? So yeah. I, I wouldn't say that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's, uh, it's, it's specific on that uh, element, right? Uh, now, having said this, um, building a team is not easy. Uh, you know, we are now 400 people across the globe. So we have teams from, say, Sydney to uh, San Francisco, right? Uh, and it's so yes. complex, right? Um, uh, having cultures, uh, you know, but there are a few things which we've really worked hard on. Uh, transparency. Uh, so I have an all-hands-on-deck call um, every end of the month telling people what volumes we've done, what revenue we've hit, where are we on our annualized plan, the targets, how are we going to meet the targets, which are the new customers we want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then kind of open it up for questions. Uh, people have questioned my strategy. People have questioned my fundraising plans. People have questioned... And uh, funnily, what's happened is... Uh, uh, because you are doing this as part of like, a, uh, so I actually, earlier I should not get too many questions. Then I think about six months back, one of our colleagues called Tanya said, hey Prajit, we should do it on Slido. And suddenly I get 30 to 40 questions nowadays, right? Yeah. And because it's anonymous, you know, people yeah. can really poke you, right? Uh, and I, I, I really enjoy those sessions. So earlier, I, I can give you a context. So earlier, my deck used to run for 45 minutes and questions were 15 minutes. Now my deck runs for 15 minutes and questions are for 45 minutes. Interesting. So, uh, at least I think uh, I, I push, so I think the transparency thing has really helped, right? So even if you're a new joinee in the company, you're seeing, and we are fully transparent over all reporting, right? Like how much money are we burning? How much money do we have a bank? How much um, revenue are we doing? How far are we from planning? You know, things like that, right? So those are very, very, very important things uh, which we are able to do it. Uh, uh, I, I think that's super helpful, but at least the push to the team is that till the time we all come on the same platform and believe the fact that we are here to kind of create a dent in the market, right? Um, that's, I think the super important thing. And I keep pushing our team. So like my newest word, my team keeps pulling my leg on is 10x, right? So I keep saying that if you're a person who's writing a line of code, if you're a person who's thinking of a product, if you're a person who's responding to a customer on an email, Whatever you do, you think of a 10x measure, saying that uh, that level of uh, getting the team together across the globe with having a 10x uh, mindset, saying that whatever we'll do should have a 10x kind of an impact, right? That's the biggest thing which I'm pushing. I'm, uh, and if all of us can come, and I wish I can tell you that uh, we are all on that same roadmap. We are not. But the day we do it, I think you'll see us scaling uh, much faster, much better. Like whatever we come out as a product should be should be state of the art, right? And that's the thing which I'm really trying to push on. Yeah, sure, that that's great. Amit, back to you. Yeah, um, right. So uh, maybe a few questions uh, more about the broader fintech ecosystem and you know some of the other things uh, you know which you are very well knowledgeable about. So uh, that Singapore digital banking licenses, right? So uh, I wanted to know why uh, you guys actually pulled out what, what is your thought about uh, sort of neo banking and digital banking, there must be some rationale behind it, right? Yeah, 
So I think uh, we actually we we actually engaged a big four who helped us slice dice data. Uh, we were in fact at a point of time ready to sign uh, a partnership with few people to actually build the digital bank. But somewhere I, okay. I think the, the issue we had was two things, right? One, the capital required was significantly high, right? Like for a consumer bank, it was like a billion dollars. I've never heard that those kind of numbers globally, right? UK, you can get something. Australia, you can get something for like. Uh, 50 million Aussie and things like that. Suddenly here, your number was significantly high, right? That was point number one or issue number one. Okay. Second, the market wasn't big enough, right? Uh, the market isn't big. So like Singapore is a 5 million people market. It's not like a, like, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I'm, I'm from Bombay originally. So uh, take only the Western suburbs of Bombay. I think we're more than 5 million people, right? So yeah. Uh, and Singapore is, uh, you know, it's a great country. The fact that everything is super digital, etc. So, uh, in Singapore, for you to open a bank account today, you can do it digitally. You don't need like Singapore banks are far ahead. So, if you look at DBS, UOB, OCBC, they're far ahead. Like uh, I had a colleague whom we hired uh, from Hong Kong. She moved here. Um, I think first day she moved here, she went on to DBS's website, uh, you know, within an hour, she had an account within a couple of days, she had a card. So it's not a lackadaisical market like a Hong Kong where, you know, I had a friend who moved to run one of the largest uh, consumer goods company in Hong Kong and he had to take, um, I think HSBC took six months to give him his debit card, credit card and stuff like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a place where uh, innovation has always been the foster uh, uh, here, right? Because the market's small. Uh, everything super digital. Honestly, if you'll ask me, uh, say I have an Instagram app uh, because, um, uh, you know, if you look at it, okay, actually, this is a great point. Like uh, in all the markets, right, um, on the remittance side, let's look at specific remittance only product. Uh, yeah. our, our peers like TransferWise, us, World Remit, uh, Remitly, right? We would be the biggest player in the remittance market, right? Like take it Australia, take uh, UK, where TransferWise is super big. But as soon as you come to Singapore, the largest player on remittance, whom we have been trying to, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to kind of, is uh, DBS, right? And uh, I can tell you the fact that DBS is uh, not like in single axis, but uh, double to triple digit bigger than both of us, both TransferWise and us put together in this market, right? So that tells you that how uh, digital focused banks have been here. And I, I'm giving a longer answer uh, largely because of the fact that it, I need to set the context of market to people because they'll say, oh, you know, uh, why not Singapore, right? So right. let's look at it. Banks, super digital friendly, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it, this cannot be an experiment because uh, this cannot be an experiment because uh, the capital requirements are significantly high, right? If I say $20 million, let's experiment, let's see it. So uh, that was second thing which is there. And the market's pretty small. So these are three considerations which actually, uh, you know, uh, when we were doing our rethinking, we said, um, and one of our investors, uh, Vertex, was also very keen that we don't do it because they also felt these three reasons were like uh, super. And actually, okay. uh, I was upset at a point of time saying, hey, we should have really done it. But I actually messaged that investor, uh, uh, you know, uh, after like three months or four months uh, saying that, hey, long hindsight, you were right. We shouldn't have done it, right? Because right. even now, if I think of it, uh, like let's say COVID has kind of really accelerated a lot of things. But imagine in this market, right, where SMEs are going to be the worst hit. And today, 
whatever you're seeing globally is not true because governments have artificially propped up businesses, right? You have to print right. SMEs, government is paying payrolls, no rent, nothing like that. But that's never going to last uh, lifelong, right? Maybe, right. maybe it's going to last a few more months. I think the real recession or the COVID impact is going to be in 2021, right? So during 2021, uh, or 2022, if you're going to launch a digital bank and the econ the world would have changed significantly by then, right? Look at travel, right? Like uh, some businesses who are very travel focused, what 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 revenue will they have? Right, right. And so uh, Singapore, uh, you did not apply for the license, but it looks like from what you are saying that you might be open and interested in some of the other countries. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Right? So, absolutely. Like Philippines, uh, uh, we are you know, going through a model. So like, let's look at Philippine bank, right? A full-scale bank with lending everything put together is uh, Sing dollar 20 million, uh, US dollar 15, right? For a full-scale bank license. Okay. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it something we want to do? Absolutely, hell yes. Because we, we've, we've got such a big customer base. There are so many things which we can do. Uh, I we already have millions of people who are receiving money from us. Instead of receiving as a cash or a, a bank transfer, why can't we create an immediate bank account? Right. So, a lot of interesting right. elements. You know, bringing the banking as a service tag there. So these are things which are super interesting for us. But uh, right. we don't want to get and uh, and banks like there's one bank in Philippines who is like digitally friendly. Others are not. So okay. there's a lot of these elements which we can play around. Right. Right. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Uh, any sort of big challenges or things that uh, you have still not been able to solve? I have a three-month-old baby. She keeps us awake at night. <laughs> right? That's I a think, good problem. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting problem to have. But um, for me, right, um, like I think what Niam is um, the amount of things which we can do, right? It's something I, I always get goosebumps even when I say it, even when I'm talking to you now. So we are at such a great position to re such a massive legacy on the global financial infrastructure globally, right? That whole, what is it? Like the opportunity and the ambition means is so exciting, right? That excitement keeps me awake at night, right? My yeah, product team yeah. hates me because, you know, I come up with product ideas uh, far more than them, right? I shouldn't be saying this, but yeah. like it's because, and I keep telling them because I do. I'm super plugged into the market. I use my time to reading TechCrunch. If there's an interesting right. business, which I see, which is even early, I'll reach out to the founder through various platforms saying, hey, let's chat. Would love to know what you're building, things like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like, right. Uh, I, I strongly believe that the next biggest disruption in payments is going to be a new age credit card, right? Because right. credit card as a product has not been redesigned since 1970s, right? Uh, right. So there are so many things which keeps me excited, like, but it's the opportunity and my ambition, which keeps me awake. Otherwise I don't have a, uh, like a majority of the founders have burning issues, right? Oh, I don't have a great team. Um, uh, funding is going to run out or, you know, uh, you know, like I need to speak to more investors or this part of the business doesn't work. I think those things kept me awake for maybe the first three to four years. Uh, right. Now, I think it's just the fact that the potential of the opportunity and the ambition to basically leave a really long lasting impact on the global fintech infrastructure model, that is uh, super exciting. for me. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, so inspiring. I'm sure your product team must be doing a great job at prioritization with so many ideas. 
their 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 way of prioritization right now is the fact that don't keep project involved <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's great and i would like to end with one slightly tricky question so um years down the line uh, you know neom and instagram and your group as a as you know as a very large neo bank or as a very large bas platform how how do you see it so i think think of us and actually this question came up to me during our all hands on deck so oh are we consumer are we enterprise are we sme what are we so i yeah. keep telling them think of us as a platform okay Uh, think of a, so on a pla- as soon as we call ourselves a platform, then this whole uh, consumer SME, uh, enterprise, bank, fintechs, the whole aspect gets blurred, right? Think of us as a platform. Think of us as a universal plug which gives you access to financial services. Whether you build a consumer platform, whether you build an SME platform, whether you want to build build an enterprise platform, you don't really care, right? but till till the time you're really summarizing and thinking yourself as a platform uh these things of what you're building on the platforms are blurred not important right when when things get different is basically when you start saying that oh i'm uh, sme or i'm consumer tech or i'm uh, b2b or enterprise that's when these things start getting nuances but just think of like 5 years later we'll be a platform what kind of products can be built on top of us you know future is credit card as a service right like as i said before right so you know these are the things which will kind of really build and develop that's at least that's the way we look at okay so very interesting and sincere so uh, this is great uh, rajat thanks for your time and all the inputs uh, really enjoyed the discussion uh, and thanks uh, salil uh, you know for asking all the questions and being a great co-host So with this we'll we'll end the session. Um, Thank you Project. It was nice having you. Okay. Thanks guys. Cheers.